a vibrant faith-based community called Momentum for single mothers. During our time together, we'll hear stories and messages of hope. If you're a single mother and want to learn more about our retreats, meetings, and activities, please visit MomentumMothers.org. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. My name is Talitha Siri. I'm one of the co-founders and executive director of Momentum. I'm so pleased and excited to welcome Shelly to our podcast today. Hi, Shelly. Hey, thank you. So just a bit about Shelly. She was born and raised in Texas, but moved to Montreal in 1989 to help out her brother with his young son. She fell in love with the city and its people and has continued to live in Montreal since then. Shelly is an engineer and has worked most of her career on projects, designing, building, and testing equipment for the International Space Station. In her mid-30s, she was inspired to start a family on her own and adopted two beautiful girls from China. Today, Shelly and her girls enjoy traveling, camping, and shopping together. And Shelly has also been part of Momentum since the first retreat. Since the very beginning. <laughs> so it's just, I'm so grateful that you're here today and I know how busy you are, and and uh, just remembering when I asked you to do the podcast, I wasn't sure if you'd be open, but you said normally when I'm asked something, I say yes. So it was very cute and very grateful. Yes, yeah, I I think this is a wonderful podcast. I've listened to all the other ones. I'm I'm pleased and and honored that you've asked me to share some of my story. I'm a little bit different than some. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, we can learn from everybody. Definitely. I'm very, I feel very grateful that we're able to share your story. And um, it is different, but it, it brings such a different perspective and such a beautiful one. So thank you. You're welcome. So do you want to maybe start by talking a little bit about your family background? Uh, yeah, that would be great. Um so uh, I was born in Texas uh, and raised there. I come from a, a Catholic family, standard Catholic family, youngest of six kids. Um, there's a bit of an age gap between me and the next youngest. So um, my brothers and sisters used to say I was an oops, and my mom and dad said I was a planned play toy. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I grew up Catholic. My parents really valued education, so I went to Catholic uh, grade school, high school, and then I even went to university in Houston. Um, my uh, my mom had been raised Catholic as well, uh, but her father didn't convert until shortly before he died, and I remember her talking about it. It it bothered her that it was only her mom or brother and herself who went to church that dad didn't go. So when she met my dad, she didn't tell him he had to become Catholic. She just told him she was only going to marry a Catholic. So he investigated. Uh, he said, I'll, I'll look at our CIA. And if there's nothing in there that I can't accept, um, I'll become Catholic. What's Just for the listeners, what's our CIA? Oh, uh, shoot. What is it? <laughs> Right, Christian initiation something. Okay. Oh, I could put it in the show notes. Yeah, put it in the show <laughs> notes. It's it's uh, basically uh, when you're an adult and you want to go through the sacraments. Okay. Um, you go through all of the catechesis. 
Okay. And you and you do it like all at once. So the people as adults are going to be baptized and go through sacrament of reconciliation and communion and confirmation all in one um, one shot okay. on Easter. Okay. Oh yes. Okay. So so he did that, and and uh, my mom said that uh, he turned out to be a better Catholic than her <laughs> <laughs> because he got heavily involved in in the church. Um, but growing up. You know, since since it was part of our routine, uh, I never really valued what it was. We just went to church all the time. We did prayers all the time, but I didn't really have a personal um, personal relationship really with God or Jesus. He was somewhere out there, and someone you prayed to and hoped that things would go well, but nobody really close that you know you really engaged with. Okay, and I know. Um just from from things that you've shared that you had a very close relationship with your mother. Yes, that um well so so in my family there were five kids born in a 6-year period and then a 6-year gap in me. So I like to say when I was younger I grew up in a big family but by the time I became a teenager I was an only child because they were all off in university and starting families and stuff. So my mom and I, during my, my teenage years, were very close, and I would question her, and we would talk a lot about faith um, and, you know, questions of the day, you know, things that were happening socially in the world and things like that, and I would challenge her a lot of times, but through that interaction, she really became my spiritual advisor uh, until I left Texas, and, and obviously we were super close the whole time. But after I left Texas, I came to Montreal, and I actually got a spiritual advisor. Um, I was a little lost when I came to Montreal, so I went on a retreat and found this wonderful, wonderful spiritual advisor. She's, she's like this little lucky charm, this tiny little thing with tons of energy. Anyway, um, but I, I always remained close to my mom, um, called her all the time, up until the time that she passed. It's beautiful that you had that relationship. Yeah, very lucky. Very lucky. She's she was a fantastic woman, and when I think about her raising six kids, it's like it's crazy, the strength and the fortitude to do that. Yeah, yeah. Is there something from your relationship with her, in terms of her faith, that stands out to you that really stayed with you? Yes. So my mom um, studied music in university and in Oklahoma, and it was at the time of World War II. And uh, everybody, well, maybe not everybody knows Maria von Trapp from The Sound of Music. She had published her book after they had escaped. She'd written the story of, you know, how she met the captain and she was a nanny to or, or a governess or whatever to the kids. Uh, it's a slightly different story than what you see in Sound of Music, but, but pretty close. And my mom just loved that story. And so she was studying music in university when the family, after they had left and escaped Germany, or Austria at the time, uh, they were touring the U.S., the whole family, and giving concerts. And so they went through Oklahoma City, and my mom got to see them there. And when the, um, when the, the movie came out, she, uh, she bought tickets for everybody in the family. We never went to movies. You know, we, we were... 
okay financially, but we did not do excess things because, again, a lot of kids. But she made us go to the theater, and this was when the the movie actually had an intermission in the middle, and you would get up and walk around. (laughs) So it was a long movie, and we all lined up in the row to watch Sound of Music. She insisted. Um, And she loved all the songs. Again, a a musical teacher. She taught piano. And she played all the songs, and we sang all the songs. But her favorite expression from that movie and from the book was that uh, God doesn't close a door, but that he opens a window. Mm -hmm. Meaning things may not be turning out the way you want, but if you look around and see the other opportunities, there may mm. be something else that God wants you to do. Mm. So so not to be discouraged. Yeah. You know, if you get a no for your prayers or or like I said, something's not working the way you think it should be. Look for the opportunities. And and that stuck with me quite a bit. Quite a bit until um until I changed it. I changed the expression. Um uh, fast forward a bit into my 20s when I was working, I was sent out to California. So from Texas, I was on an assignment on a project in California for about a year, and I temporarily relocated. Um, but this was the first time I'd been away from my family, and even though I was excited to go, I was very homesick. Um I had my colleagues, which became like my pseudo-family, but I felt like I needed more, so I found a a church nearby in the town that I was staying in. And there was a priest there, young priest. He gave great homilies, and one particular homily was when he said that, you know, we can talk to God, we can ask God questions, but we should listen to see what God has to say, what he wants us to do, what mm. his direction is. Mm. And I remember that really struck me. And as I was walking out of the church into the parking lot, walking back to my car, I was having this little conversation, you know, like, well, God, okay, if you want to talk to me, you know you're going to have to do something like hit me over the head because I'm oblivious to a lot of the stuff that happens around me. I'm very single-minded once I get an idea in my head. Mm -hmm. If I got to go shop, I go shop. I get what I need. I go home type of thing. So I told him, you're going to have to hit me over the head if if you want to get my attention. (laughs) And as I was getting into the car, I hit my head three times (laughs) on the, and I don't even know how. It was on the edge of the door, on the top of the car. And I just remember finally just sitting in the seat and laughing and thinking, okay, you've got my attention, (laughs) but please stop. (laughs) And, And after that, Several things happened um, in my life that I can go into the details if you want, some of the details. And I started realizing, yeah, those opportunities are there Mm. if you just let go and let God. Mm. So that became my, you know, when he closes a door, he opens a window. Okay, that was your version. I I turned that into just let go and let God. Anytime I had a big issue or something that was really weighing on me, it was like, okay, God, I can't handle this. I have no clue what's going on. I don't know what to do. You take care of it. Yeah. And things would happen or opportunities would be presented. I want to I say opportunities because sometimes even if it looks or feels negative, sometimes it's a scary opportunity. And you think, oh, I'm not sure I want to do this. But if you kind of give it that test of, okay, is this good? 
like, is this what Jesus was talking about? Is this, does this match those things? It doesn't go against my belief and my faith. Then this is good. This is from God. So yeah. these opportunities would come up. And if it kind of passed that little litmus test, mm. I was like, okay, we'll try this. Mm. And that's how a lot of my fun, you know, Shelley's fun adventures <laughs> happened. <laughs> I'm curious how that relates to, you have two beautiful young women now that you adopted yes. from China when they were much younger. And I'm curious how let go, let God played into that into, because I imagine that must have been a big process of discernment. Do you want to speak yes. a bit about how you came to that decision? Yes. Um, so I was in Montreal working. Um, I had switched companies working a lot um, a lot of overtime and stuff I had a variety of friends and colleagues that I talked to and inter intermingled with um, one girl in particular we used to take little coffee breaks and I was in uh, I think I was 36 at the time when it happened because it made me think my mom was 36 when she had me and I was the last of the the six so I was a little late in this. Um, and I had been talking to this friend, Elizabeth, and I said, you know, I always thought that I would marry young and have a ton of kids. I wanted six or seven kids. I just, I just wanted a huge household because I loved my household growing up. And, um, and I said, but, you know, I'm 36. Yeah, I, still have, I would still have to meet somebody and go through the courtship, and then the marriage, and the, you know, get the house and do all this, and then have the kids. It's like, I just don't see it happening. And she said, well, have you thought about adopting? And it kind of blew me away, and I thought, no, what are you talking about? And there was another girl at work, she later introduced me to, Judy, who had just adopted a little girl from China. And she goes, yeah, China has a criteria for the adoptions. You're either a couple with no kids, um, over 35, and have an education, and obviously a job. Or a single person, over 35, no kids, and, you know, job. And I thought, okay, this is interesting. I went to an information session, and I got to talk to um, the doctors at the Saint-Justin, which is the children's hospital here in Montreal. They had been doing studies on the children being adopted from China, like, are they healthy? Um, are they having developmental issues, anything like that? And so he was presenting all these statistics. I had invited another friend along with me to go to this information session. This other friend, Kathy, um, she had actually adopted her three boys, but locally, because she was married, and so that was easy. Um, and she also was like, oh, Larry and I were talking. We thought you should adopt too. But as a single person, that's not really a, a priority in the adoption system, especially here in North America. So anyway, we went to the information sessions. I went to the office. I picked up a packet. Um, and this was happening uh, like late winter, early spring. And that was the year that my parents were celebrating an anniversary and uh, their 40th anniversary. And I was going or I was offering them a trip to California to visit relatives. And I had organized um, 
the plane, everything. And I told mom and dad, I just told them what to pack. And I said, don't worry about a thing. I had every day the itinerary for every day scheduled where we were going to go, what we were going to do. My mom was thrilled. She was like, oh, this is so nice. I just asked you what to wear every day. And then I just enjoy. Um, so I said, okay, after that, after that trip, I'm going to come back. And I'm going to really think about this, if this is what I'm going to do. Uh, so I did that. And came back and went on a retreat with my spiritual advisor, was given some passages to read, but sometimes I just open the book, open up the Bible, and and read whatever's there. And it was the passage uh, from Matthew, I think it is, and I forget, I forget the chapter and verse, but it's where the apostles are arguing about who's the best. And Jesus kind of, you know, shakes his head at them and says, no, 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 bring it, bring a child over here. You know, this, this is the most purest and the most beautiful and the most wonderful in the kingdom. You know, if you can be like this child, then that's what we're looking for. That's what God wants. And if you could take care of a child like this in my name, that's even better. And it was just kind of like this, this passage just, just floored me. And I thought, Oh, okay. I guess I'm adopting. <laughs> that was it. And I think uh, once I got back from the retreat, I went to the office and I paid the deposit and I started the process. It seems like it was, in a way, a smooth process of discernment. Was there, I'm curious, was there any part of you that had to maybe let go of what you had hoped your life would be? Like you mentioned, you always thought you'd get married and have kids. Was that a big struggle for you or was it, was that easy no, to let go No, it was really funny. Having gone, having gone from wanting to have so many kids to adopting, it, it became very easy because when I sat down and I just thought through the logic of it, I was like, do I want to have kids? And I thought, there's enough genetics and large running around. I don't need to reproduce myself. And it fit me so well to know that, number one, it was a girl. But it was a girl coming from a place where girls weren't valued. And I thought, I'll show them. I'll show them. I'll, I'll, I'll take the girl you don't want, and she will be something wonderful. You know, and, and so that fit me, too. Just that whole story is like, I'm a mom wanting a kid, and there's a kid wanting a mom. So I thought this, it, it just fit me. It just fit me. So I never questioned it. And as it turns out, um, I had uh, suffered a lot from cysts and, uh, and endometriosis. And I ended up, when I was going for Katie, uh, I started the process for Katie and then found out that I needed, I had a, a very large um, fibroid interuterine, so it was inside outside, and the repair for that was really huge and sometimes risky. And so I said, okay, just hysterectomy. I said, I'm, I'm having my kids another way. I don't need this organ anymore. <laughs> so I remember she looked at me, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to try to get pregnant now at that point in time I was 42 and I'm like oh forget this just take it <laughs> take it out you know I was really struck well first of all just for the listeners your daughters you definitely have raised two very strong incredible daughters they are yeah they are really beautiful. total opposites too yeah yeah <laughs> 
Um, but I was struck at the first retreat because you came with your girls and um, there was such a mix of, of women, such a, a mix of situations of why people were single moms. And I guess I was grateful that you were there because your situation was different, but you could see you were still carrying so much of the same challenges. Yes. There was, it was complete identification, you know, with all this, we all identified with you and you with, with everyone. And so it was really interesting to see that even someone who chose adoption still is raising alone. And that comes with a lot of of joys and struggles. So it was just interesting to see. Yes, yes. I, I And sometimes when I think back to that first retreat, I was a little embarrassed in a way because I thought, I I did this to myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I didn't have a, a relationship that, you know, went bad or I'm not suffering any traumas. And I'm like, I did this to myself. So I remember being kind of quiet and listening to the other stories. And part of me was like, thank goodness I did it by myself. <laughs> I don't have to deal with another partner creating havoc in my life. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it has its good points and its bad points. I, I like to tell people uh, I got to make all the decisions on my own, mm-hmm. but I also had to make all the decisions yeah. on my own. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember too um, that the second retreat. So the topic was God the Father. There was a spiritual director that came from Madonna House, which is an apostolate in uh, Ontario. Yes, and um, and there was kind of a reaction to that topic from a few of the women, and um, and I remember you being one of them, and. Uh, and you 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 brought it up the next morning. Maybe you could speak a bit about it. Why why yeah. it stirred something in you? Yeah, I, I have to uh, go back a little bit before that retreat and talk about. Um, so I guess, like I said, when I was growing up, I wasn't. I didn't have a super close relationship with God. I knew He was there. He was a given, um, but not interactive really in my life and in my my 20s through some meditation that I learned and being on my own in California and, and realizing I could rely on him. And then, the, and then these coincidences or opportunities happening, being able to move to Montreal, being able to do a couple things, and even the adoption of my, my daughters. You know, I saw his interaction with me. But then my mom had a stroke. And the girls were little. And I even have to go back a little bit farther. My talks with my mom, one of the things that we talked about a lot, well, not a lot, but just talked uh, talked about was the fact that at, that at that time, I called it that God gave us hard situations, things that we feared, so that we could learn through through having to face those fears that he was there for us. Later on, I realized it's more that things happen that we fear. Not that God causes them, but things happen. And he allows us to go through it, him with us. And and if we rely on him, he can turn those things around. That's what I learned. So my mom and I had talked quite a bit 
about her worst fear was when she got old, having to go into an old folks' home where people would have to wash her or take care of her or whatever. Um, I wouldn't say she was super prideful in her appearance, but she was um, proper. She always dressed properly, no matter what she was doing. She never lounged around in pajamas or went without washing her hair. She was just always very proper. And the idea of someone have, having to physically take care of her, do everything for her, that really just, she said it horrified her. So later on, after the girls, my mom had a stroke. And it was a severe stroke. Uh, and I was in uh, Montreal. I uh, got someone, no, actually, let me see, the first time I did not bring the girls. I had someone take care of the girls. And I flew down when it first happened, and I saw her in ICU. And I remember she couldn't talk, she couldn't move, but her eyes could move. And you could see that she was aware of what was going on. And you could see the fear. And I remember bending over her bed saying, Mom, this is it. This is your fear. You're facing it. So you know what you need to do. You need to call on God to get you through this. I spent time with the doctors. I looked at the scans. I questioned everybody, like, can she recover from this? And I prayed and prayed and prayed. So I said, let go, let God, you know, let God's will be done, because it had been proven to me over and over again that when you, when it's his will, it's so much better than anything that I could think of, you know? But when I prayed for my mom, I prayed for very specifics. I wanted her to heal. I wanted her to have a miraculous recovery. I didn't. I wasn't ready to lose her in my life. So um, she passed. She was only uh, ill for about two to three months. And she actually, I, I had taken a leave of absence from work for five weeks and was going down for the five weeks with the girls to do intensive work with her. And she died the day before we were supposed to fly out. So I didn't even get to say goodbye. And I remember getting through the, the funeral and going home, and it hit the whole family because she was the glue that kind of kept us together or the neural network that kept all the communications open. And I felt abandoned by my family. And the fact that she had to have gone through what she did there, there was a point when we had to make some decisions on, do we put in a feeding tube? Do we do this? Do we do that? And it's strange, um, being the youngest of the family, I was also the one that, that everybody looked to to coordinate things because I always had the questions. I was questioning the doctors and the social services. So, um, so I said she'd She'd had uh, rheumatic fever when she was little, so she had a severe heart murmur. She wasn't supposed to live as long as she did and have six kids. Um, I said, we do, we do a DNR. Do not resuscitate because then God takes her. But she had a stroke, so she's here for a reason. She didn't die the first time. So we do whatever we need, rehabilitation. Uh, they did put in a feeding tube. Um and they, we were going to start physio and into care. And this, this was that two-month, three-month period that all of this was going through. 
And I was making these decisions and asking the family and my uncle, her, her brother, is this okay with everybody? So I would get consensus. I wasn't doing it on my own. I was getting consensus. But I felt like I was leading the pack and I was rationalizing everything to everybody. So, so we had made those decisions, a DNR, feeding tube, start with physiotherapy, let's see what we can do. But I knew she was facing her worst fear. She didn't have control over her body. Uh, she had to be washed. She had to be changed. She had a diaper. She had all these things. And I could see the look in her eyes, and I would just keep telling her, just face it with God. you got to give it to him. And then when she passed, I got super angry. After all those rationalizing and, and even talking to my friends, is this the right thing to do? Are these the right decisions to make? And them saying, yes, yes, you're doing the right thing. I just got so upset. And, and it was like, God, how could you do that to her? And I stopped talking to him. I went to church. It's not, it's not like I didn't believe in him. I just stopped the communication. And I didn't turn to him for anything. I didn't pray for anything. But I took the girls to church. I went to church. I didn't pray that much. But I was still there, and I, and I tell people this also that um, I learned after this experience. Um, you get points for showing up. You know, there are people that something will happen and will really turn them away, that, and they will leave the church. I said, no, just keep showing up because he does. He keeps showing up for us, right? So just keep showing up, and at some point you can work through the issues. It's like with the relationship. If you, if you run out of the, the house— and don't continue communicating, you're not going to fix anything, right? So anyway, went about 10 years. It was about 10 years until I started with Momentum. And I remember the first, um, first retreat being wonderful, but then that second retreat where it was about God the Father. And I'm like, yeah, this guy who I haven't talked to in 10 years. And after it was introduced what, what the topic was, um, that was a Friday evening, and I just remember going back to the cabin and not being able to sleep all night long. I was just so upset. It's like, why does it have to be God the Father? Why, why does it have to be Him? I'm not happy with Him right now. I don't, I don't want to talk to Him. I don't want to learn about Him. And it's like, it's not just me. Everybody here has an issue with men of some form or another in their life. So why are we doing this about God the Father? And it really, really bothered me until I got to the point where it's like, I have to tell her tomorrow morning. Her being the, the leader. The, the leader, retreat. the leader, the spiritual leader of the retreat that you've got a challenge ahead of you because all of us have issues with men or, or male figures, father figures. <laughs> so, so I did that. I remember coming in. I remember shaking, and I think I even cried a little bit. I don't, I don't quite remember just saying, I just have to get this off my chest, that we all have issues with father figures <laughs> of one form or another, <laughs> whether it's a husband, uh, you know, our father, someone, anyway. And, and I said, gave a little bit of an explanation of my situation, saying, I'm, I'm not that cool with the father right now. I'm really upset with him. And, and I remember her telling me, you can tell him that. You can be angry at him. It's okay. Get angry at him. But talk to him about it. So the next night, I did that. I, I was in bed, and it was rather weird praying. 
just lying there going, why could you do this? Like I was ranting and raving at someone. <laughs> and, and it came to me after I kind of calmed down, it came to me that my mother's experience was her journey. And what she went through was personal between her and God. And with that, I was able, even though I'm crying now, I'm tearing up, with that, I was able to come to a sense of peace. And I reconciled with God, saying, okay, that was her journey. I have to deal with my journey and my feelings. And then I had to kind of ex open up and ex explore the the guilt that I felt of the decisions I made and the things that happened and had to come to an acceptance of that. But that to me was, you know, we talk about different conversions in our life and many conversions. And for me, that was a conversion for me because after that, I participated in the Mass. I started doing children's liturgy, you know, teaching the kids. And then we started Divine Renovation. And I said yes to everything. And everything that I said yes to brought more faith, more hope, more love, more everything into my life and the life of the girls. And today, like you said, I'm so proud of my girls because they also volunteer and participate in church and are and feel a part of the church community, which which I hope for everybody, that everybody gets to have that experience of community. That's I remember just being so grateful that you had the strength to speak what you were feeling because it kind of actually set a precedent for the group, which was that we don't shy away from hard things and hard topics. And I think it that process all of us going through that retreat together and then when you kind of vocalized what a lot of people were struggling with and we were able to work through it as a group it, it created a culture and momentum I think so thank you for that it, it showed you know we need to face hard things sometimes and and we'll get through it but we we don't we want we won't shy away from them because we saw at the end of the retreat, the gratitude from everyone, yourself included, that that was yes. the topic. So it was, it was it was one of the best retreats that that we've had through moment. I mean, they've all been special in their own way, but that one, like like I said, was a turning point for me. It it was a conversion for me to take me back to God and start up the conversations again. Yeah. So yeah, thank you for that. For just the impact it had on your life. And I think it, it, it set a precedent, you know, it, it showed us the value of, of um, yeah, not shying away from hard things. And, and um, I'm curious, what was your mother's reaction when you told her you were going to adopt girls? And what was her relationship like with Sarah and Katie? Oh, she, she and my dad loved the girls to pieces. She called them her baby dolls. Um, and when I called her at first, she was like, you're going to what? And she was a little concerned because I wasn't coming back. She knew I wasn't coming back to Texas. I said, no, I think I'm supposed to stay here. And, and I think I'm really supposed to do this. And when I explained to her everything that I'd gone through, she was fully supportive, fully, fully supportive. And she loved those girls so much. Yeah, they're her baby dolls. 
Is there a message of hope that you would want to communicate to other single moms? Well, um, the main thing is let go and let God. You know, when you, when you are faced with that frustration and that fear and you feel like you can't do anything, that's the time. And when you say, when you say God, take, take over. Just take care of this. I can't deal with it. I need you. Take care of it. And, and the other thing is that um, I've learned especially, I mean, since that particular retreat, but especially in the last couple of years, there is no situation, no bad, horrible situation that God can't turn around. He can do anything. And if you leave it up to him and ask for that, he can turn the worst situation into a rainbow and flowers and beauty. So there's always hope. There's always hope. When you think you're at your worst at the bottom, just turn to him. Give it to him, and he'll, he'll make a bouquet of flowers out of it. Your faith is beautiful. Oh, my faith has gotten me through a lot. <laughs> well, thank you for inviting me. I love this podcast. I love what Momentum has done. I've watched it grow. And it's such such a beautiful initiative, such a beautiful community. And, uh, and the fact that uh, I've seen you as a leader embrace this and see it to its fruition till right now. We're having podcasts. Who would have ever thought? I just, I just um, am so appreciative of that and the support and, and the single moms community. Thank you. Thank you for everything. You're welcome. Thank you, everyone, for joining our podcast today. If you're a single mother and would like to know more information about Momentum, please visit our website at MomentumMothers.org. God bless, and see you next time on the Catholic Single Mothers Podcast.